Let's pray. Holy God and gracious God, you have given us your word, your word which is true, your word which works in our heart, your word which works faith and belief in us. As we come to your word this morning, work powerfully in our hearts, our minds, our very soul, so that we profess Christ Jesus evermore. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of people in this world that, that think the accounts of Jesus, His miracles, and certainly His resurrection are simply tall tales, fables, and myths. J. Warner Wallace was once such a man. J. Warner Wallace was a police detective, and he was also an atheist. In fact, he was kind of an angry, obnoxious atheist at that, and that's by his own admission. But one time he was on a stakeout, which is kind of boring because there's just a lot of downtime, and he thought he would take time to see, is there any reason that I should believe the Gospels? So he started to read the Gospels. He started to use his police, his detective skills, and investigate them. And what he found is that the Gospels were not just tall, tall tales, stories, or fables. Rather, he found that the Gospels were reliable eyewitness accounts. You see, this is a field, eyewitness accounts, in which he was an expert. In fact, when he brought many, when he brought a cold case, so a homicide that had not been solved, when he brought a cold case to trial, I believe he had a perfect record because he was so good at piecing together eyewitness accounts and all of the clues. But this proved a problem for him when he was reading the Gospels, because if they really were eyewitness testimonies, if they really were reliable eyewitness accounts, then they would be true. And if they were true, well, then he had a choice to make, didn't he? He had to follow the truth and give up his atheism or he had to ignore the truth and stay with his belief that there is no God and certainly there is no Jesus and certainly that there is no Savior who is risen. But he said this of his journey. He said, I'm not a Christian because it works for me. I'm a Christian because my high regard for the truth leaves me no alternative. Because of eyewitness testimony, J. Werner Wallace became a Christian. He believed. We use that word a lot, belief. But what does that actually mean? To believe is to place one's trust in another. Not just as a preference, not just as an opinion, but that it is true. Not with just a small case T, but with a capital T. It is truly true. Belief is the conviction 
based on testimony that something is true or that someone is reliable. That's the whole purpose for the Gospel of John, by the way, that you would believe. John writes this at the end of chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his his disciples, which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this morning, we are going to go through an eyewitness account, actually three eyewitnesses, Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John, and then actually back to Mary Magdalene. So let us learn from these eyewitnesses, and let us stand on the solid rock of Christ Jesus and believe, and thus believing, have eternal life in his name. The first witness is Mary Magdalene. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, I know you have heard the name Mary Magdalene, but you probably don't know too much about her. Her name is used 12 times, referenced 12 times in the four Gospels. So she shows up in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Actually, 12 mentions of her name is more than other disciples had, other apostles had. I mean, if you think about it, right, the 12 disciples, I'm not going to give you a quiz, but we, we start to go down pretty fast, right? So there's Peter, right? We got Peter and James and John and Thomas and Andrew and Philip and G- Mark. No, Mark, Mark, Mark wasn't an original one. We start to, it goes downhill pretty fast, doesn't it? Who remembers Bartholomew? He got four mentions, by the way. How about, how about Thaddeus? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You're like, I don't even remember Thaddeus. Was He got two mentions. So that Mary Magdalene got 12? I mean, that's, there's, there's an important eyewitness, right? Now, she's called Mary Magdalene because Mary was a very common name in, that, in those days. Just like in Joy Church, we have so many Judys, right? I've got to use initials or Lindas, or Jans, so we designate them. She's called Mary Magdalene because it's implied she was from the town of Magdala, which is on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. All right, so that's why she's called Mary Magdalene. She's first mentioned in Luke's Gospel. This is from Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, including Thaddeus, by the way. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So, 
Jesus had cast out seven demons from Mary Magdalene. Now, to be freed from demonic possession is an unimaginable joy. And with gratitude and understanding, she followed Jesus. She followed him all the way through his ministry. And she was there at the cross, and she was there at the tomb. So that's Mary Magdalene. That's what we know of her. Now, the first day of week would have been Sunday, Sabbath being on the Saturday, and it was dawn. So it was uh, just that pre-dawn light, just kind of murky. And Mary and other women actually came to the tomb with her. Now, John's account only speaks of Mary Magdalene, but the other gospel accounts talk about uh, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. By the way, there's no contradiction that the other gospel accounts mention other women, and John only focuses on Mary Magdalene. As a matter of fact, you would expect this from eyewitness accounts, that some eyewitnesses will focus on one fact more than other facts. So this is actually not a contradiction. Some people use this to say, oh, you can't believe the Gospels. No, this is an eyewitness account. So the women were there because they needed to finish applying the spices and so forth to the body of Jesus. They didn't have time to do everything on Friday, the night in which the day, the night in which he died before the Sabbath began, and they couldn't do anything on that Saturday, so they came to the tomb. Now, Mary, when she came to the tomb, she would have expected that the rock be there in the first place because it had been sealed, but the rock wasn't there. And the tomb was empty. Now put yourself in her mindset. She had seen Jesus die. She had wrapped him and helped prepare the body. And now the tomb is empty. There was only one logical conclusion that most of us would think of. Is that the body had been moved. Somebody had taken the body. And so she did what any one of us would have done a conclusion she would have gone to tell others that the body had been moved. In fact, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to him, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Tomb robbers, grave robbers, was the only thing in her mind. And she ran. Look, there was no time to hatch a plot. There was no time for a conspiracy. This is what any one of us would have done had we seen the empty tomb. We would have gone and told the others. They've taken his body. This is what, this is what we would have done. This is what an eyewitness did. Now, if she was being interviewed by a news crew in this day and age, they might have said, well, didn't you expect his body to be risen? She'd be like, no. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I saw him die. 
I put him in the tomb. I expected to find a body there. And had they asked that same question of Peter and John, they would have said, no. As a matter of fact, we didn't even believe Mary. We thought she and the other women were just kind of making stuff up here. So we ran to the tomb, just like any one of us would have done. It says this, so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Their hearts were racing, not just from running, but it would have been from fear, from doubt. Where would the body be? their Lord and Savior, the body's gone. And this, by the way, this reads just like an eyewitness would write it. Because why? (laughs) And it's just funny. Why would John say, I outran Peter and I got to the tomb first? I, I mean, what kind of detail would that be put in by anybody writing to try to create a conspiracy? That's an authentic statement from John. It also, I think, kind of shows a little bit of pride and maybe a little bit of fear because he got there first, but he didn't go in the tomb, did he? Well, it goes on this. The account says, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. You see, when John wrote this account, He used three different words for seeing. Now, our translation says saw, 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 but there's actually three different words that were used. The first one means to glance, to look in. The second one means to look carefully, to observe. And the third one is to perceive with intelligent comprehension. So let's just take a look at that, because there's a progression for them in their belief. And and this is John speaking of himself, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So what he did, he just glanced in, and he gave a witness like most witnesses would, say, at an accident scene. You know, you see this on all the TV shows, right? Well, what did you see? I I saw a black SUV. Anything else? Nope. That was it, right? That's always the first witness. Nothing else other than just a plain fact. This is the way a lot of people take Christianity, by the way. They kind of glance in a church. Yeah, it's all right. Or they maybe read a paragraph or two in the Bible and kind of go, yeah, I saw it. And that's it. There's not really belief there, is there? There's not really faith. 
It's just observing. But then Peter does something else now. It says, then Simon Peter came in following him into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. Remember, this means to look carefully, to observe. And the face cloth which had been on Jesus had not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up uh, in a place by itself. So first of all, he saw the wrappings of Jesus. It, It doesn't say that they were cut. It doesn't say that they were strewn about. They were just in a place. Now, you start to observe this. You start to understand that Look, Jesus had been tightly bound. His body had been tightly wrapped. So one thing, even if he came back to life himself, he couldn't even get out of his own wrappings. Somebody would have had to cut it or tear it. But if somebody was really trying to rob the grave, they wouldn't have taken, they would have had to cut it and they probably would have strewn it all apart, but they probably wouldn't have done that. They probably would have taken the body as is. So this fact before Peter and before John does not fit with anything else that they could have imagined. And also that the face cloth had been folded neatly. This was not a grave robbing by any means. This was something else completely. You see, God's given us intellect to use. And he's given us his word. And we are to observe carefully in his word. Because God has given us what we need to come to faith, and to follow Christ Jesus in his word. That's why I recommend people, if they've never read the gospel and any of the Bible before, to start with the gospel of John. It's a 21-day challenge, and actually we have a couple copies on the back table. One chapter a day for 21 days, and you read the entire gospel. Now, you might not understand everything right away, right? So you're kind of at that first level, just glancing, But then read it again, and you'll start to observe things. And then I encourage people to read it again a third time in a row, and you start to perceive things that you hadn't before. This is God's Word at work in your life. So the dawn is, the the light is dawning on both Peter and John. It says this, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, here's that perceived, with intelligent comprehension, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciple went back to their, the disciples went back to their homes. I mean, think of everything they had gone through, right? They had been with Jesus. They saw the miracles. They saw the feeding of the 5,000. They even saw raising of Lazarus. So they believed in Jesus, but they didn't have the whole story. Now, if you are, again, a news crew, 
interviewing them, you might say, uh, Peter, John, oh, John, you're the one that uh, Jesus loved, right? Yeah, okay. He puts that in there, right? That little biography. John, Peter, didn't you always believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, yeah, we did, but we, we kind of hesitated a little bit. You hesitated? I, I, didn't you see the miracles? Did you hear him teach and even see him raise Lazarus from the dead? Well, yeah, we did. Um, it was quite a miracle, too, let me tell you. But we saw him die. We saw Jesus die. You know, he was put in the tomb. And we thought, well, who's going to raise him from the dead? I mean, we, we just hadn't put it all together. But then we, we looked in and we saw all of that. And we started to remember what he had actually said. You see, in the Gospel of Luke, it says, the, Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed after three days rise again. And Jesus also said this, it's recorded in Matthew. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. They believed. They started to understand what Jesus had told them, what the scriptures had said. Now, did they understand everything? No. There was still a lot of growth to go, to happen in their lives. But they believed, and they began that journey. So now let's go back to Mary Magdalene, our witness. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and the other at the feet. So she's mourning. And when it says mourning, this is, consider this deep weeping or sobbing. I mean, she must have come back a different way than Peter and John left. And so they really hadn't told her what they saw, what they believed. And so she's outside the tomb just weeping. And she stoops to look in. Remember that it wasn't a tall doorway. She would have had to stoop to look in. And she saw two men in white, angels. Now, she doesn't recognize them as angels, though, does she? I mean, it kind of tells you where her heart is, that she's just full of such sorrow and grief that almost everything else is blotted out. But the angels, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? There are a lot of people who are marginal Christians. 
if I may use the term, they know of Jesus, but they don't know that he lives, that he really lives. And so there's a sorrow in their lives because they really don't know that he does live. Just as the song says, because, I, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. So they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Okay, now you might think, how could she not know that was Jesus? Right? I mean, how could she not know? Okay. You ever been in the grocery store? shopping, you're focused on getting whatever you're going to get, and somebody from church comes by, or somebody has a little laugh of recognition, or just somebody from your life, and you're like right there, and they say, hi, Clayton, and you go, you know, it's just not even there, right? Because you don't expect to see them there at that time. Now think of Mary, who was there with all of the sorrow. She had seen Jesus crucified, full of blood, his skin torn. That's really how she saw him last. And so with all the grief, with all the sorrow, it's actually quite understandable that she didn't recognize him in his glorified state. Jesus said to the woman, and notice it's the same question that the angels asked. Woman, why are you weeping? It's almost to say, don't you know the joy right in front of you? Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. It is such a tender moment here, isn't it? Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And I think that's the question for all of us and all of our loved ones and our friends. We, are keep, we keep searching in our lives for a Savior, someone to be there, with us. And he's standing in front of you this very day, this very moment. Whom are you seeking? The answer is Jesus. We are all really truly seeking him. So, Jesus does something that he does for each and every one of us. He calls her by name. He calls each of us by name. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, I know it means teacher. That's the translation. But it's more personal than that. It's teacher, master. But there's an, an intimacy, but also an elevation of who he is. Later on, uh, after this time, the Jews would actually have three different levels of teacher. Rab was the lowest, rabbi being the middle, 
and Rabboni being the very utmost highest. So now that he has called her by name, just as he has called you by name, and the sheep know his voice, she recognized him. A new light had come upon her. Her sorrow and grief had been broken. The confusion was gone, now replaced with clarity. And I'm sure she was overcome. And my guess is she fell to her knees and grasped his legs. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, Jesus said, do not cling to me yet. This does not mean that touching him was an issue, as if she were, would defile him somehow. Remember Thomas? He said to Thomas, okay, put your hand here, put your hand here. So touching him was not the issue. It was that he was now in his glorified state. And there's a different type of relationship of clinging to him before he was glorified. Clinging to the idea of just an earthly Jesus. He, in his glorified state, had other work to do now. And it's a different type of relationship. You see, we often want to cling to Jesus right here and have him be beside us, which is fine, by the way, for us to do that. That's good for us to do. But we also must understand that he is God himself. He is sovereign. He is over all things. Just go ahead and reread the reading from Ephesians today. So it is a different relationship that we do have with him. So she is filled with hope, and now she becomes the very first witness, the very first witness to see our risen Lord. And filled with that hope, she does as any witness should do. She goes and tells others. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I have seen the Lord. There's the proclamation, right? Just as you and I proclaimed, He is risen, He is risen indeed. It means that the price on the cross had been paid in full. That death has been overcome. That sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. That in Him we are truly forgiven. And that in Christ Jesus, from His death and resurrection, we have the promise of eternal life. I have seen the Lord. I know Jesus. And he is risen. This is what is before each and every one of us today. These are eyewitness accounts. And you must come to one of two decisions. It is either all true or it is not. And if it is true, it has full impact in your life. This day, this moment. 
Here's what I would encourage you to do this day. I would encourage you to put in your own words the implication for yourself. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And then give all praise and glory to God. Amen. Amen.